Alzit. Welcome to the On The Rock Podcast. This is Nate. Thanks for dropping in. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us to. It gives us the validation that we have listeners, which is kind of the important part of having a podcast is having listeners. So thanks again and please subscribe. Today's guest is Dr. Miki Tomita of the Education Incubator. Miki and EI are doing wonderful stuff out in the community. They're really transforming the way that we educate our kids. I always enjoy talking to Miki. I always feel like I learned something new and she's always super insightful, super intelligent and super thoughtful. So thanks for coming in and I hope you enjoy today's session. What's up, Mickey? Hi, Nate. What's How up, Doc? How are you? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was gonna I'm start good. with that. I I always give you oh shit about that. Okay, uh, so if you only call me doctor. I think only people call me doctor is if uh, they want me to give them money or I owe them money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to collect on your student loans. So, um, <laughs> all right. So real quick, um, simple protocol stuff. So introduce yourself where you're from and then third question usually varies but since i know and we, we might get into this your favorite baseball team oh, see wow. i try to trick people with the prompts i try not to be too you know vanilla with my yeah. prompts well, that's a good one that's a good one hmm. okay okay so you want me to Introduce yeah, yeah. myself. Yeah. Who and you then are, where I'm from, from. And then my favorite baseball team. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a really good one. Okay. 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 So, um, aloha. My name is Miki Tomita. I am originally from Wailuku, Maui. I'm Pukalani, Maui. I'm actually born and raised in Pukalani. Um, but we live in Wailuku now. Uh, I currently rest my head in Papakolea um, on the island of Oahu. Uh, so, this is where I call home and I have for several years. Um, I uh, work at Education Incubator, which is a local nonprofit that um, that is focused on empowering youth and communities to um, harness the good and the healing capacity inside of them and bring that out into the world to take us to a better destination. Uh, it's really fun. We focus on joy and passion um, and we just laugh a lot along the way and practice a lot of aloha in all situations. My favorite baseball team. That's an awesome question. Yeah. Um, I haven't had that many. You know, I mean, we grew up. Um, we didn't have our own baseball team to watch, right? Everybody watched uh, TBS, and yep. so we all love the Braves because that's Braves. what we watched. Uh, my favorite baseball team is going to be um, the Wailuku Brewers. Wailuku Brewers. <laughs> so the little that's... league team. Little league. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I was just my hoping my dad you wasn't... was the coach. Oh, okay. No, my okay. dad was the coach, and my brother and I—that was like the one team that we both played for at the same time. Oh, okay. So, so you, so you yeah. played for so the the Wailuku Brewers. Uh huh. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I I was assuming you were gonna go with the Baldwin Bears. Bears, right? Mm, Bears. Yeah. I mean, okay. I I was the statistician for four <laughs> years, right? For the Bears, I was the the manager and statistician. Uh, and they are near and dear to my heart. My brother actually still coaches oh, for Baldwin. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, he still coaches there. Um, and I have a lot of friends that have gone through the program there. But you know, I also spent so much time in Arizona that um, I got to see so many 
um, games played at different levels. So I, uh-huh. I got to have an affinity for the Giants and the Mariners. We met a lot of their um, their triple A, long Fancy A, stuff. short A. Yeah, yeah, just everybody. So yeah, I have plenty aloha for all those teams, <laughs> especially the ones that have found space in their ohana for our Hawaii players. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, yesterday was a draft. I think, I don't know if any of the local, I had. I didn't check if any of the local boys went, but you, you remember how to score keep still yet? Uh, yeah, I was trying to teach my daughter. I was, uh, I was <laughs> we were at a game, maybe you reached game. No, actually, maybe we went to one of my brother's games and I was just showing her how, um, <laughs> like some of the, some of the ways that you uh, take score and uh, see the calculations. Yeah. That's a, that's a forgotten <laughs> art, you know. I, I actually, I actually don't, I'm not good at it because I, I mean, I, I was playing, so I never had to like keep score. So I never was good at it. Like I'm not fast enough to know, like, like I have to think about like position numbers and like yeah. all the little things. So it's not automatic. And then I, what happens is I end up losing the pitch count oh, because I, you got to be marking yeah. right. Ball strikes. Like, yeah. You got yeah, yeah. to mark it. I'm like one play behind. So by the time I catch up, I'm like, what's the count? Oh, one and one already. I'm like, oh, sh- shit. Okay, I got to catch up. Yeah, no. I That's mean, why I, they have the scoreboards to help you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at, at fancy places. But, you know, like if if you like or if you're, you know, if you're at the, well, yeah, I guess at the UH game, I wouldn't do it because I'm usually just drinking a beer. So I, I'm trying not yeah, to yeah. work that hard. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I can always talk baseball with you, which is fun because like my family <laughs> is a baseball family. Same, same, kind of same, similar to you where um, my sister didn't play. She played soccer, but she grew up at the field because we were always at the mm. field. So she learned how to take score and she would keep stats for my, my stepdad was my coach and, you know, she would keep stats. So like for, I, I would assume, I, I kind of always assume that our family experience around baseball is, is sort of similar. So I know I could yeah, ask you that question. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to stump you. I thought you would be like pretty quick with the answer. Because I had to think about it. You know what? I've been thinking so much of my dad lately and my, my memories of baseball also mixed with memories of softball, right? So gotcha. he played on three, um, at one point he was playing on three different um, softball teams gotcha. at the same time. So every night we was at the softball field. And so, you know, I just remember like Dragons Drive-In, Establishment, Lee Kai. Like that was the three teams that he played for. A different baseball cap every yeah. night, you know. <laughs> Mountain ball, beer yeah. ball with yeah. the beer See, in, the, in the glove. I think, yeah. I think very similar. Uh, we, we were the same way. We were the same way. I mean, I think I think it's crazy about like how, yeah, yeah it was just a very, and, and Hilo, much like, Maui, I think Hawaii in general is a very baseball place. Mm-hmm. I mean, back when we were growing up, now it's like soccer. Yeah. Like my ne- nephew and my yeah. niece don't even play it. They, it's too slow for them. But back mm-hmm. when we were growing up, it means pretty much baseball and, and basketball maybe. But um, anyway, fun conversation <laughs> about baseball. We can always get back to that later. I don't. I can yeah. talk baseball all day. But, um, so you mentioned what Education Incubator does sounds like you've you've had to intro that a few times but i mean give us a deeper talk about what you folks do like programmatically what what's your outcomes what do you what are you really trying to drive at with with your programs sure so i think um you know as teachers in the system and in informal learning situations as well like we we built up quite 
um, a large like kind of knowledge base about what works and what doesn't, at least in our own classrooms and, um, and what we see as um, the capacity that education has for enhancing the life of a child. It's so vast and so great and the potential is so, could be limitless. And yet sometimes our systems kind of get in the way of that or the system and the way that education functions is good for many of the kids, but not all. Mm-hmm. And it does a real big disservice to the ones that it doesn't, it's not a good fit for. Um, and so some of the, the things that we were thinking about is like, you know, we tried all of these new technologies and, and totally embraced like walking into the digital, um, into the digital platforms that education is taking on. And those are all great. Like there's, there's so much good stuff happening, but at the core of it, I think what we realized is that the idea that education is about learning and that learning is about liberation like that part didn't come through very much in the system of education, at least at the time that we were teaching. Things have progressed, you know, with project-based learning and with place-based learning and culture-based learning, like there's so much more that's happening. But at the time, I think we were really thinking like, what can we do that would, um, that would allow our trusted, like people that trust us as teachers and educators would allow them to let us take risks for them, to experiment a little bit outside of the system um, and bring them along on our learnings um, and help kids at the same time become those models for what it looks like when you let them drive their own learning. Um, when you tell them that there is no ceiling on the work that they can do and that, um, and that they deserve and need to demand to be a part of the creation of the future that they are stepping into. Uh, and that's kind of what EI is built on is putting kids and communities at the center of design- designing solutions for today and tomorrow that take us to that future that they really want to see for themselves. And sometimes it's hard because people haven't thought beyond the future that has been mapped out for them already. They haven't really thought about like, if I could start over, if I hit the hard reset, what would this look like? Um, And that's part of what we try to do is really give them the pause and create that safe space so that they can be brave in that space with us. And and just to be clear, your programs kind of sit, I mean, the kid, you're not a school. Right. Your your programs mm-hmm. kind of sit outside of a traditional or whatever school that a kid is currently going to. Right. Yeah. So we have um, a couple of different types of services that we provide. And like, trust me, COVID containment is a is a pivot point. Right. So prior yeah. to so we can talk about that, we can yeah. talk about yeah. that, too. We'll, we'll, prior, we'll dive into yeah. some what what next stuff, because yeah. that's a big part of prior what we talk COVID, about. Yeah. And so prior to COVID, like we had pretty stable, like we offered, um, we did our own programs, right? We launched um, entrepreneurship and innovation programs that are aimed towards social impact with kids um, that integrate design thinking and project-based learning and, um, and community clients. And that was really fun. And we did that either through our own programs outside of school, or we did that as a part of a school program where we were brought in to enhance an elective or a social studies STEM elective or something like that. Um, or part of the core program for some of the schools that we work with. Um, And then another line of work or service that we offered um, and we're engaged in is teacher professional development, right? So really helping the teachers to to not need us in the classroom because that's not what we want. We don't want to create a dependency model. Our idea is to help a teacher to stand up in their own place, a school to stand up in their own place, their own model of innovation, entrepreneurship and liberation, right? Like they should, it should look different everywhere because we're all different. Um, so that's the teacher training and, and school training part. And then 
We also ran like community um, sort of redesign workshops where we would get people together to think about what might our community look like in the future that we want to see for ourselves and how can we start from here with the business partners and the education partners and the youth um, and our, our policy makers and our community advocates, how can we all kind of work together to design that sale plan towards an archipelago that we might want to reach, right? Everybody's island is a little bit different because we're different people and we have different goals. But if we can kind of hang together in an archipelago, sure. then we can get on the same vessel and kind of head in the right direction, yeah. right? So that's kind of what our, our goals were to impart that kind of thinking and facilitation for our communities, for the schools we serve, and then for the kids and actualizing their dreams. Gotcha. And you you kind of started to dive into it, but, um, you know, with COVID and, and all the stuff that's happening, a lot of us are pivoting, uh, which is a, always a nice, I always find it like those, I have this, um, I don't know if it's a meme or it's actually an infographic, but it's actually more like a meme to me because it's just all these entrepreneurship catchphrases and buzzwords and, and pivot is like one of them. But, you know, we're, we're looking to, everybody's looking to pivot right now, right? So in your space, what are you guys looking at as far as like what the response or what the future is kind of mm-hmm. looking at for you guys? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys are testing right now. If you're, if you're using pivoting, you're testing, right? You're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. But what are you guys kind of testing right now? Yeah, I think that's interesting that, that what comes to you is entrepreneur and, and the word pivot. Because for me, it's like second day and like the like shortstop. First off, is the pivoter. The turn. Right? Like, the turn. Like, yeah, you make the turn. That, like, yeah. It's a quick turn. Yeah, 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 you got to turn. Um, you got to turn. Quick yeah. turns. And it's, and it's different than like the entrepreneurial pivot because they like are thinking about entire structure. Whereas I'm, when I talk about it, I mean, we're responding to environment and like really just trying to like catch and feel the stuff that's coming towards us gotcha. and like, and how can we support the rest of the team in getting to where they want to be? And so our response in COVID um, was, was interesting because at first we were kind of just like we were paused Um, we work in schools we have programs with kids we weren't sure how we were going to reach them again because spring break was a natural break for us anyway and so we're trying to figure out like what's happening with the school yeah Yeah, and like and that's fine we were just waiting right because we work in service of those schools and those kids so we wanted to hear from them what they needed the most but what was happening in the background or coming in from the side like the email strands was people that we know in the business community, even the education community, the entrepreneurial community that are like, I don't know how to learn at home with my kids. Yeah. Like, what am I going to, how do I even set up my space? Yeah. How do I like, you know, I heard you talk about how you have an elliptical, like in front of this cabinet and that's one of your workstations. And like, how did you, how do you do that? And like your, your daughter's on this side and you have a standing desk for her, but really it's like boxes. And, and I was like, Oh yeah. Like you just, and then you have peace corners. And spaces where that's somebody's sacred space and that's where they go when they don't want to be near you because we don't know when we're coming out of our homes again, right? So we were offering this kind of like, almost like concierge, like you call us and we'll help you figure out whatever you are working on and we'll give you as much as we can, even though we know we don't have all the answers or even any answers, but we're here for support. And so we were offering that and what emerged from that was we decided that we would want we wanted to bring some stability and routine into the lives of of children and families and so we started um, just like we would at school 8 30 in the morning uh, morning circle 
for anybody that wanted to join us. And we started with a meditation and then um, talk story uh, and then a creativity challenge. So the kids could go as deep into it and spend all day on it if they wanted, or they could just spend five minutes thinking about it. Really, there was no, not even a requirement that they come back at the end of the day to show us, but they did. And at three o'clock, we would join again and have another closing, probably a video. We showed Ted Ed videos. We showed Molly of the Molly. We're showing these videos for families to learn about different aspects um, and for the kids to be able to share with us what they created during the day. And it turned out that they really wanted that cadence. Oh, and we added in a, a movement activity. So we had a workout of the day as well gotcha. for 20 minutes where it was a child-friendly workout, um, yoga with Molly from Blue Zones Project. Um, strengths training with your backpack with coach BJ from Iolani, like different people came in and helped to support that um, as a movement activity. The kids really loved it. Um, and what grew out of that was we started to see these strands. So then it was like, well, our friend who runs this like National Geographic program, like he's not really doing much right now either. So how come we, maybe he comes in once a week to host yeah. our friend, Granny Julia, who's in Canada, who is this world peace garden organizer like she's at home too. So why don't we bring her in to talk to the kids once a week about how do you build peace in your home through gardening and through understanding culture? She's been doing this for 40 years. So we started featuring different people just to break the monotony for the kids. And that kind of developed into a program. Nice. Right. And yeah, so that, that was that one. And then now we're in, we invited Uncle Pono Shim for foundation, like for Aloha Response, because we're part yeah. of his Aloha Response and Higher Skills Academy. Um, and what that turned into has been a five-week um, program that teaches or shares foundations of aloha for families to turn their homes into healing and learning centers. And that, that's been our like work for two months now. So okay. it's been pretty awesome. And we'll get into the aloha response in a bit because, yeah, I mean, you and I, we're kind of, you know, trading texts. And I think you kind of know <laughs> where, where my head is at sometimes. <laughs> but um, you mentioned – so. It's interesting you talked about pivot as for you guys, it's more quick change, right? It's not in a tradition entrepreneur sense where you're like creating some real big, big shifts in what kind of product or service you're trying to produce. But I mean, from a, but for me, from an organizational standpoint, it's still pivoting, right? You still have to mm -hmm. adjust. Like, I mean, in a, in an entrepreneur sense, do you feel that, um, the ability to shift and be agile is a result of your your folks' system design or your team or a combination of both. You know, like what made it so easy for you guys? I mean, because it sounds very, sounds like what you guys are delivering is super rich and super, um, you know, effective. Yet, I mean, in a, it basically you created this pretty cool program in, you know a couple of weeks so what allowed you to kind of move like that you know well one i think our our line of work before and after the the shift or the pivot has always been about trying to respond to and fulfill a desire that the community has for itself right and the community still desires to be whole and to love up their kids and to um, see a version of themselves that is beautiful and um, and joyous, even in a time like this where that's a little bit harder to see. Um, I think that I think that the other thing that does allow it is one, yes, my team, like our team is awesome, and we are so like-minded and similar. And really, it's just me and Hajan, right? And we have David that's been helping us, and he's uh, he was a youth in our program, and he's been supporting us with 
um, with some of our social media um, ana analytics and thinking about our, our, just the way that we present ourselves, but really the core of our teaching team is Hajan, with me to support. And then, um, you know, I'm program development. And so it's a small team. And then we work with an extended family in Sultan Ventures and Accelerate HI. And, and that's been really useful as well, because we have a joint program launching in a few weeks. Um, but I think, I think it's that idea that we, we weren't a solution in search of a problem before, and we're still not that. We're still here to help provide possible solutions for the problems that people perceive that they have. And so it's always been about filling the need that a community has rather than designing for a need that we anticipate. Um, and that's, I think, why it still holds, even though we shifted and changed around some of the stuff. Like the, the most important, or maybe the biggest resource that I think is our distinguishing feature, besides the fact that we operate on the foundation of Aloha and, and that um, we, we really aim to serve the needs of our customers, clients, and beneficiaries, is that our, our social network, like our social capital is super diverse and rich from just mm -hmm. decades of being embedded in our communities and from generations of being embedded in our communities. And so, um, and from working with Nainoa and Hokulea and PVS and working on the charter schools and being, you know, teachers in public private charter university, like we have accumulated a lot of. Anyway, <laughs> I won't, we had some, I'm recording again, had some technical okay. difficulties. My unnamed um, internet provider that, their name rhymes with rectum. Um, <laughs> just, just drop my connection again. <laughs> but <laughs> it's really frustrating. It, it's super hard because everything now is all these Zoom calls. And yeah. like, it's not bad if you're not the host. So if I'm just attending, I get dropped and then I, I got to come back in. But when it's like a one-on-one -on -one or like a small group call and it happens, it just, it just wrecks me. But... Okay, if it could also just be i mean your energy right <laughs> like i feel like we're trying no we're like all of the energy that we provide to people in our face-to-face -face interactions because there's transaction right of energy there's energy there's like emotion it's all kind of being trying to channel through like digital interface and sure. i think sometimes zoom just cannot handle it cannot translate <laughs> the energy component that's and so very, it just falls apart that's a very <laughs> metaphysical way of thinking about it i thought when you said energy it was like my negative energy toward my my internet provider or my Do that too <laughs> my my nervousness it's always that tech thing where like you're so nervous that something's gonna happen and then what you're worried about will always probably happen it's like that you know <laughs> I forget. I don't know if it's Murphy's law or I can't remember. It is. The, it's it Murphy's is. law. Okay. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. So you're talking about social capital. You're talking about EI. Um, and I, I know you're on a roll. So I don't know. Where no, no, we no. I, I was just saying that, like, I, I do feel like one of the largest distinguishing factors, right? Like if we had a unique feature, um, one, of, it, one of them is like, if a kid wants to make a documentary about canoes, we know canoe builders and we know documentarians and we yeah. call them in and we say, this kid needs this. If a kid wants to code a star line of Polynesian, like Polynesian star lines on an app, like we know an app developer and we call them in and we say, this kid wants to do this. If, if a kupuna is like, I really want to take like a virtual, I want to learn how to create virtual field trips to do this, this, and this. Like we know a VR guy that can help. Like we, 
we have all of these through all of the various some, somewhat seems crazy and unrelated, but it totally is all connected through this wonderful like net that we've been able to weave for ourselves through all of our lived experiences. We have this beautiful network, really like net, the working the net, right? We have yeah. a beautiful network that has been braided around our programs that any one of those people is a strand that we can just activate for that child and, and wrap it around their solution or their idea and just show that your community here locally has such depth and breadth and richness in it. Um, it might not be financial capital, but they have cultural capital and knowledge capital and experiential capital and, and natural capital. Like all of those things exist in such abundance here that, um, that we can begin to think of ourselves as abundant. And, and that, that's, I think what EI does, it always brings like this abundance perspective to the work. Yeah. I think that's a good um, kind of segue into what the other part I wanted to talk about. And we can get back to, I want to get back to education, but you kind of teed it up already. So one of the things you and I have talked about is our, our shift, shifting in our current economy. So right now we're in a very, uh, we were in a very, uh, I feel, linear type of eco uh, economy. Um, you know, tourism dollars come in. We're spending it on the locals get paid. We spend it on stuff that have to get, like, outside of Hawaii to get shipped into Hawaii. So it's a very non-circular, non, you know, non-recirculation type of economy. But you and I have kind of touched on it, but... You know, one of the things we talk about on this show is like, what's next for our economy? We have to reset. Um, we have to rethink. So what kind of stuff do you see in your role as as places that you think we're going to eventually flow toward? I mean, I think you kind of touched on it where we have all these resources. They may not be financial, but how do we turn that into, you know, financial capital? Or how do we, we kind of, maybe it's not built on currency. Maybe it's built on something else, but what, what, what could it be? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I actually think that in this time, you know, in like, in the moment or the moments that people experience discomfort or pain in the pandemic was when they realized that money isn't always the thing that gets you what you need. Sure. Right. Like, like no matter how much money you had, you wasn't going to get toilet paper for those yeah. three weeks. Yeah. Right. Like, so it, it was who you knew and depending on the kindness and generosity of neighbors or friends to redistribute um, masks, same thing, right. Yeah. Depending on the kindness and generosity. I mean, it wasn't, nobody bought or a lot of people didn't buy people were making because they yeah. had kindness and generosity and they wanted to put their skills um, or they're developing skills or new skills towards something that was positive for their community. Um, I think that things that we already knew and practiced in some of our smaller, um, you know, who is our subsets, like we knew that knowing your local farmer and, and helping them out and buying from them um, always resulted in you getting more than you actually purchased. Um, and, and that you would then turn that into something for them to eat or their families, or you would bring back something else. Like we already were in this kind of pseudo bartering, social network supporting kind of, yeah. um, existence for many of us, not all. Yeah. And the ones that didn't have it were the ones that realized that they needed it in the pandemic, right? Like we realized what are the other forms of capital that are missing from my life? So I think we're actually at a point right now where we're 
conditioned or at least ready, we're open to the possibility that currency might not be money, right? Currency might be goods, services, time, resources, um, partnerships, like those could be the currencies that we actually need to focus on. And I think that, but I think that the big hurdle that we'll face is the redistribution of financial wealth. Yeah. Like, because that's always going to be the biggest hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with you 100%. I think there's also, I don't know if, I don't know, and, and we'll get into this, but I don't know if there's enough will in our leadership to, to take that risk. You know, that's a big, that's a big shift. And money is easy because it adds up. Right, you can throw it in an Excel sheet. You can quantify it, and you can show a profit and loss, and say, "Like, look, like if we do this, there's a net, which is good, right?" Um, you know, I I think even for you talked about lo- knowing your local farmers. I I even came up with a proposal that if we even shifted our our local eating habits toward fifty percent of our food is locally grown. That's hundreds of millions of dollars that don't leave the state. So that's hundreds of millions of, of dollars that you don't need to come in via tourism. But, you know, I don't know if there's a will in leadership nowadays to make that kind of change. But I also think what you're talking about, too, with the getting what you need from your community, that I, I can recognize that because I come from a neighbor island and a smaller town i think you you grew up with that probably in maui um but yeah i i saw a lot of that i saw a lot of you know you see people helping each other out um people willing to help feed other people see guys like gooch and amanda Mm -hmm. mobilizing super quick right to get out but um do you think we're primed to make that kind of shift I mean, and and have the have the pieces in play to actually start that kind of shift. I think that's a good question, right? What well, we saw a lot of the successes that are happening during the pandemic are people that have a skill set that I would call like rapid response skill set, mm-hmm. which is only triggered when there's an emergency, yeah. right? Like even people like me, like our skill set is like okay like we can leap into action we're mobile we're nimble we can like okay yeah let's reconfigure we'll flip it we'll start teaching this way like we can and we will in order to meet a need now when there isn't that pressing societal need or a pandemic looming over us will people still act as a rapid response team probably not right because it's high energy you consume a lot like it's it's dry but it's short you're sprinting yeah right and so what does it take yeah what does it take to be long distance and that I don't know that we know how to generate this kind of generosity and redistribution of wealth and resources. I don't know that we know how to do it as in for distance. I know we can see it as I'm gonna do this for a month, right? I'm gonna do this for two months. Yeah. But if it like if they tell us tomorrow that we're in this shutdown for another year, people will riot. Yeah. Like people will people will be upset. They will. They will not, that generosity, like, I'm not sure that their gut reaction is going to be like, yeah, I can do this for another nine months, right? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. I well, really don't. It, I would, I would like to think, but I'm not sure. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, generosity does cost something, whether it's time or energy, right? And everybody as individuals are finite. We're all finite resources, right? We have 
only a limited capacity to do so much. And after doing it for so long, it might be impossible. But I think that's the big question. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that's part of the what reason why I wanted to start talking to people and recording it because I, I think I'm trying to figure out like a lot of the stuff I'm seeing, especially the people I'm talking to, like you and trying to talk to Gucci and Amanda and, you know, are people who are doing pretty good work in this during this time and responded kind of quick but how do we systemize it how do we start to again like you said shift it from a, a sprint to a, a long distance run which which mm -hmm. i think is going to be like a huge challenge um you know talking kind of going back how, how do you think our students are going to fit into that system change yeah, I mean, that's a that's an interesting question, right? I think that what I'm I get gratitude is a harsh is a is a very big word to use for this. I think I appreciate that um, part of the struggle that happened in in the school shutdown or, or the transition to learn from home was that a lot of the inequities that many of us knew about mm -hmm. and that some people were anecdotal about mm -hmm. the data hit hard. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, it yeah. hit hard. Oh, you, you don't actually know where 80% of your kids are right now. Like you don't yeah. actually know how much computers they have. Oh, when they answered that they had access to the internet, you didn't realize that it was one device for eight people. Yeah. Like, you know, like all of those things, right? Like the inequities and the disparities all rose to the surface. And for those of us that have been, have been like ma'a to that for a while, I think it was a moment where we were like, okay, so maybe now that the systems themselves can see that this is what the individuals within the system are experiencing maybe there's time for change maybe this will be the thing yeah right and and so i'm 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 appreciative that 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 happened and that the, that the schools responded in that way um i think though that we're still we're still searching for a solution and they have to right they, they they're under such pressure to reopen and to bring kids back because it was not a very quality experience for no. many kids this yeah. whole distance learning was not right. It was triage, and yeah. and a lot of the kids were lost um, along the way um, because the education wasn't engaging, because the supports weren't there, because they just it wasn't required because it was enrichment because they couldn't legally require um, a lot of the the assignments. Um, so for all those reasons, uh, it was a learning opportunity. What I what I'm not sure about is is how much the students will be asked what their experiences were like and what they would have liked their experiences to be to design the re-entry, right? Like I would love for the kids to design re-entry. I would mm -hmm. like for them to be the ones to say, this is what worked for me and this is what didn't. Um, I, would, I would love for them to be able to feel empowered to be so honest as to say like, when you told me I had to turn on my camera and I'm, I'm living in a shelter, like I didn't want to. And so I stopped coming to class. Right. Like that, like that kind of thing, like I, I know happened and, and it's not okay. Like the kids have to be able to say like, like, this is, this is how I engage and this is why. And even the ones that say, this is why I blew it off. Like hearing from them, the ultimate design journey, right. Is hearing from them why they did or did not engage and what they got out of the experience. And most of the kids that I know, the ones that came to drink from the zoom, like fire hydrant, it's because they wanted connection social yeah. connection with their yeah. friends, with their teachers, with a caring person. They wanted to break the monotony that was happening at home. Um, the ones that didn't, 
they still took AP tests. They still went to the beach. They still did the things that they were going to do, whether we were in distance learning or not. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that, I think that we, I don't know that we've asked, I think in small pockets, some of the charter schools have really asked their kids what the experience was like some of the private schools. And I think the department to some extent has been asking, but we're still, there's still emergency room triage reactions, right? Mm -hmm. Not planning. Yeah. Yeah, Hard to plan. Yeah. I mean, and I I think, you know, my day job sort of in that realm too right now these days. And I think it's hard to tell what, what it's going to look like and it'd be nice if the kids are involved i totally agree with you because i feel well we're we're one thing that hit hard was a digital divide which you mentioned um not only in devices but also broadband access right zoom as we can just see with my my crappy internet connection sometimes requires um you know high-speed internet which some kids don't do and and they said some of them i know for a fact like when they tell you they have a device it's actually their phone mm-hmm. and it's running over you know cellular network so you mm-hmm. know it's not it's not really a conducive device but yeah i'm it's a question that i'm trying to I, and i'm you know talking to you you're a doctor so <laughs> you know <laughs> but and by the way on a side note you really got to update your LinkedIn because it's like oh, I was I trying to look at it forever. I know it's, <laughs> it says you work at UH or lab school. Yeah, I, and I don't like, think I even knew that I had one for a long time. <laughs> I'm like, I know you haven't been at lab school for a few years. So that thing is kind of yeah. old. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to like research? 10 years. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm trying to do my homework as a, as a responsible host and like kind of research my people. And I was like, God. <sighs> Nikki, you gotta yeah, update. you won't be able to find me on LinkedIn. Sorry, yeah, I know. <laughs> but but I mean, I, I and I think the reason why I bring up that is because you do have experience administ- being admin- in the administration of a of a of a school, a charter school, and you know, I'm I think even for me being in the space I'm in, it's trying to figure out like, okay, how how is it gonna work? Um, we're volunteer based. Are volunteers now going to have to be dig- uh, virtual volunteers, or you know, what's the protocols going to be? And I and we're only two months away from the schools being reopened. I mean, August, early August is you know first day of school, so it's coming up quick. And I think you know we're still trying to figure that out from our end. But um, yeah, I. I I hope, do you think, um, do you think, and not just with DOE, but do you think leaders are listening to younger people right now? I think so. I mean, I'd like to think so, right? I feel like the department made it a priority to listen to student voice and choice, right? To prioritize student voice, not just to listen to it, but to prioritize it as a strategy for education, for engagement, um, for planning for the future. So I I think so. I mean, I would, I would have to say like, it's, it's in their documents and I've, I've been to some of the events. And so I feel like they, they're listening. Um, do I think that listening is enough? Um, no, because it takes, it takes, because of the process that education has taken on, 
we have to build up the volume of the voice of the kids. It's not enough to just say, okay, you can have voice, sure. right? They, the volume has been taken away from them for a long time. The, the courage to say anything has been taken away from them for a long time. And then also they have adults and rightly so that are modeling the behavior of like, well, it doesn't matter what we say because the system will not change, right? And so, so all of those things don't really, even if you say like, oh yeah, here's your platform for student voice, like we want your voice. We don't have, we didn't give them the handles to hold on to, to get there. Yeah. Right. Like we didn't scaffold the process so that they feel legitimized and that they feel comfortable Secure. and that they feel confident. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I think there is room for student voice. Do I think that it's being scaffolded? I, that I'm not sure. And I hope that it is. Yeah. Great. Um, and then now shifting gears, <laughs> This might be a, a big topic. I mean, we, we kind of touched on it, but um, you brought up the Aloha response. So um, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with Uncle Pono's work and I've, I haven't participated. I've heard him talk about it and I heard Ramsey talk about a lot of it. So I've, I've gotten it through absorption, but not like through actual like participation. Um, but kind of, give us a brief overview of what that is and then we can kind of start to dive deeper into what we're seeing in the community and who's practicing it who 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 needs to practice it you know i'm trying to because i feel like i when i read about it or what i know about it i feel like i have a journey to make to get to that point so you know i'm always looking to kind of see where you guys are at so Tell us about the Aloha response a little bit more. Well, um, so I will I will channel or try my best to represent Anakala Ponoshin and Anakala Ramsey Pong, um, who both um, were uh, our students of and beneficiaries of the teachings of Auntie Pilahi Paki, who incidentally also comes from Maui. Um, <laughs> I gotta always represent Maui, I right? Um, I can always <laughs> expect that with you too, you know, like. <laughs> Maui's Uncle Pono's dad. Uncle Pono's dad also Jim from Maui. I bet you. <laughs> I bet you though. I guarantee you, either Uncle Pono or Ramsey has some connection to Hilo too. Like, oh, guarantee. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. Just gotta put that out there. Just gotta put that out there. And actually, okay. So that let me start from there with Aloha, right? Um, one of the teachings of Aloha. So I'll start with this Lokahi, which most people think of as unity or harmony, right? Lokahi from Auntie Pilahi's teachings perspective doesn't it implies unity and harmony, but what it actually means is the oneness in everything. And so, and so to see the connections that everybody is connected to everything, that life on the planet is connected to life inside you, that an action that you take today is going to result in some impact to every single person in the universe at some point in time, like mm -hmm. that's Lokahi. So it's it's aloha means to act in a way knowing that there that that you and I are actually the same person that we are connected that I cannot have aloha for for you and not for the person next to me I cannot I cannot aloha my daughter without actually having aloha for myself which is hard right self yeah. self-care and self and like aloha for yourself sometimes is hard for for those of us that have I mean just in general I think in modern life because we're all in trauma at some point um, but I think it's that understanding that aloha is, um, is 
is to be found and to be given everywhere and to everyone and to everything in always. Um, and so aloha from the teachings of Auntie Pilahi Paki as, as my, my interpretation of what I learned from Uncle Punashim is, um, is that aloha is one of those words as many where um, knowledge is embedded in so many different layers and levels. And so one of the ways that she taught aloha was to break down aloha into five letters. And so we have a akahai, l lokahi, o olu olu, h ha and and the last a being ahonui, right? And so each of those concepts then takes us one layer deeper into what is aloha. It's not just love, it's not just um, goodbye and hello, mm -hmm. right? It is all those things because as you dig into each of those, right? Like we just talked about lokahi and seeing everything from heaven's perspective, which doesn't imply like God. It implies like being so raised above things to understand that it's all connected as one. And then, um, and then Ahonui, which is the, the first teaching that Akopono has, which is um, translated as like waiting for the moment. So Ahonui, some people say patience, but as Auntie Pilahi taught him, it's really waiting for the moment. And so being able to hold your response, being able to fight that first reaction that you might have when somebody says something to you that you don't like, or even something that you really like, and like, sitting with it and letting it kind of sit inside of you and stew and really thinking like, but where does this come from? Where does my reaction come from? Where did their statement come from? What is the thing that ties us together in this, right? And like, so all, so every layer of aloha has those practices. And, um, and that's kind of the aloha response is to be able to enact each of those values and those teachings and those practices um, in our engagement with each other, in our engagement with plants, with people with the universe with community like that's kind of the aloha response is how do you find all of those how does aloha become the first and only thing that you respond with all the time and yeah i mean i and i'll link so i've been i read um there's a i think it's a i don't know if it's a paper by uh uncle pono but i've you know i've read it so i'll link that in to the description of the podcast so people can kind of at least see the the base concepts and the acronym and what they stand for because mm -hmm. it's all kind of laid out what i find super intriguing um which is something i think just even more base for me that i'm trying to learn is the alo and the ha so the being mm -hmm. present you know with your in you know and breath which is like life so I think for me, a lot of it is just even just before I get to the acronyms, I'm trying to get to the point where I can kind of like be present in what's happening, understand all the forces that are in play with all the stuff that's happening in and around me at the at the current moment in order for me to get to the point where I can even attack the first A and start to kind of mm. and drill down. Um, what? I mean, and and it's a, is it a practice for you? Is it something that you've mm -hmm. had to over the years be mindful of? Because you know, I mean, it's it's a real, it's a different way of thinking, and I think um, me personally being, you know, especially being Yonse, fourth generation, pretty Westernized at this point, so my my brain goes to a different place you know when i'm when i'm processing stuff so how do you feel like for you your personal journey to to get to that point like or to this point because i really that's one of the things i really respect about you is that you when i talk to you you have i can 
it's there you can sense it so like how how has that journey been for you um that's an interesting question i think so one you ask if it's always been there and um and i would say yes and no like it is for sure a practice and and um and the reason why in the aloha cohorts with uncle pono we repeat over and over again the cycle is because it's always a practice just like like um so uh kenny endo right who's my cycle instructor like he says the same two minute wrist roll he's going to do that for 40 years because there's never a day when he doesn't need that practice right so the discipline that is very very Japanese and and very I think for a lot of cultures there is that discipline practice like aloha is a is a discipline as well it's a choice that you're making and then it's muscles that you have to build until it becomes so natural that it's not it's not anything but everything in you right so we slowly have to like reclaim all of those pieces of ourselves and knit them back together in a way that it's pure like aloha and and there are so many situations and contexts where Aloha is not your first response because it's like, what was that? Right? Like you just immediately, you can feel yourself like what? And then you're like, wait, wait, take a breath. And I'm going to enact like Olu Olu. Olu Olu is gentle and strong. You know, um, it means pleasing, right? That we say Ke Olu Olu to mean please, but Olu Olu, according to Auntie Pilahi and Kupono, is um, gentle and strong, gentle, gentle, like you're carrying a baby and strong enough not to drop it. Right. And so if we treat people like that, knowing that in, but we have to be strong enough to tell them something that doesn't quite sit right or, you know, know when the situation is that the gentle thing to do with them is to actually be a little strong with them. Sure. Right? And like, and to, but to, but to convey that with Aloha. And I think it's just being good people, right? Like that's, that's what we've been raised to do, I hope. And if not, yeah. then hopefully it's what we're learning to do is being good people. Um, and I think back, actually, I brought this up in a, in a discussion the other day that when I was growing up, um, I was at Wailuku Honganji, that's my temple, right? And even though I used to cut school and like not go home for a week, I would always go to church for whatever reason. That's just how I am, right? Like I always went to temple. I was a Sunday school teacher, um, like me and my Buddha Dharma, like we are, you know, oh, we are one. a very uh, interesting <laughs> dichotomy there. Cut school all week because cut school all week. <laughs> don't go home don't go home Mm-mm. maybe but i went to church but yeah, you went, went on sunday church. you show up to, yeah. to temple yeah. okay anyway right because yeah so so part of the the buddha dharma or part of the teachings when i was in high school is we were part of a meta cohort and so we um we would meet and meditate and um and talk about like what was going on with our practice and the loving kindness meditation right the meta meditation um is about picturing the person that you love the most in the world and that feeling that you have for them and then facing every single person in the world with that same exact feeling, even the person that hurt you the most recently, Mm. right? Like that's the kind of feeling that I think is that tension and that growth of aloha is like, how do I, even the person that I'm like, you are the worst person in the world right now. Like, (laughs) how do I face you as if you were the person that I love the most and that I feel the happiest with? right? Like it changes your disposition. And that's part of the loving kindness or metta meditation of Buddhist teachings. And it's part of aloha. Like that's kind of, I think, so yes, it's, it's everything. That's the unity in everything, right? Our best practices as humans, culturally, um, religiously, like all of those things are part of aloha. And it's part of the like unifying force 
in oh, the world. Oh, you can pick up your dog. That's cool. I, I yeah, I know. She's fine. Sorry. She's <laughs> That's like... fine. Oh, there. <laughs> I'm not recording it video, but you have a, a nice, cute okay. dog there. Um, well, I, you know, I'm part of part of the reason why I put this on something as something to talk about is like I think in the last couple of weeks, as fast as the world shifted with COVID, it's shifting even faster for the at least for the majority mainly for the u.s with with like black lives matter and and a lot of things that are, are happening and it feels like it is at a at a great a good tipping point at a tipping point where we could see maybe see some potential um long-lasting change um in that sense how do you feel and i know you're your student but like every good student, you're a student until you teach you teach somebody about stuff, right? And then now you're sort of my master. But how do you take that principle of aloha and what you're learning and kind of what can it be what can be shared in today's kind of climate as far as like especially I think for local people because we we don't have a huge black community. So it's not, you know, that that not saying racism doesn't exist i actually think it's more like ethnicity kind of things but um how does that apply and how how can we take that to to apply it to what's what's kind of going on in today's current social climate that's a big question yeah, i it's mean a, it's kind of a large one sorry yeah no no i mean i think it's it's a good one to ask and to kind of like think through i think I think that there are a lot of a lot of different opinions and a lot of different reactions to what's happening in the world right now, right? Um, I think for me, what what resonates with me in terms of the the different kind of conversation strands that have happened um, is that when you make financial capital the currency that gives somebody value, when you say that they need money in order to matter. Right. When you say and then and then you create a system where where certain people cannot make as much as other people. Right. Mm -hmm. So first you're saying money matters most. And then you're saying, oh, but you're not worth as much money as somebody else. Right. Already you're setting up a system where the only answer is going to be looting. Right. Yeah. Because you told them they couldn't have these goods and services because they weren't deserving of it, yeah. even though they were doing quality work. And like, you know, like that kind of thing is. The first thing is like when you say that currency and money is the only thing that matters and that some people don't matter as much so they won't make as much money, already you're setting yourself up for the kind of situation that we're in. Yeah. The other thing to think about is that because we are the Western world, because we are the US and we are a plantation economy as is Hawaii, right? Black lives have been sacrificed for our economy since the mm -hmm. beginning of its of its plantation yeah. heritage right yeah. like capitalism like, is built on the back backs of slaves that's that's how capitalism right. was born and, and so and so those lives have been lost like our our financial system and our power as a system has been built on the lives lost of of those communities and so why why do we find it shocking that there's uprest and upheaval, right? Like it, like it's more shocking that it hasn't happened earlier, that there wasn't, and maybe it's because 
in the pandemic, people were are drinking their news all from very concentrated sources yeah. and also are feeling financial stress and marital stress and uh, family stress and it, food stress and all these things are mm-hmm. stressors, right? So the triggers are much finer. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, it was that perfect storm, not perfect, because that sounds like a good word, but it's that alignment of, of events that, yeah. yeah, that just caused the, I think, the chiropractic that we needed to release all of that energy. Yeah. And the energy is negative because the, the root of it is negative. And so, of course, it wreaks negative havoc, you know, in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had some conversations and I think a important key that you brought up was that um, in those conversations of exploration, we're, we're kind of thinking like um, all it's like the world, at least maybe and again this is a u.s issue but it seems to be resonating worldwide which is awesome but it felt like it was a spring that was you know with all the tension from being in lockdown all the you know that first few months of the year where there's all this tension it's like just loading a spring you know and the spring was just Mm kind of ready as as compressed as it can go and now you're seeing a release of of all that energy um and I always try to tell when I have these conversations, like remind people, like, I don't, I don't want it to, even though it's a great tipping point, we're not getting to the tipping point because necessarily because the, the time for change is now, I think it's a lot of that built up tension that's pushing us faster there, which is great. Um, and you're right. It's, it's, it's amazing that it's taking this line. I've heard one of, uh, I heard a speech by one of the um, organizers of BLM and she basically says it's, it's, you know, people should feel fortunate that they're just asking for equality and not looking for revenge. Cause it could be much, you know, it could be worse. It's, it's just, they're looking for equality. Um, but that brings me to, and you know, one of the things you and I've talked about it briefly about, um, our own Japanese community and and just the role we play in our community. Um, we didn't get into this, but it's something that I think started to shift for me when I went to work for Kupu because at Kupu, um, I came from the Japanese Cultural Center, went to Kupu. So now my work was, even though Kupu is not a native Hawaiian organization, it has a lot of ties to um, that community. So I started to kind of hear different voices we started to shift my thinking of, of the role that my community as a JA plays. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like we are being good? Cause we're in a lot of leadership roles. We're in, you know, our governor's JA speaker of the house, you know, there's a lot of people who are from our community that are in leadership positions in government, in business. Um, do you feel that we are being good stewards of that role or, or can we be better? I should say, is there room for improvement based on like the communities? Cause you, you're, you've got been pinged because you kind of straddle multiple communities. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think I was in one community and starting to kind of started to kind of dabble in another with Kupu. So it made me question my, my role and my mm. responsibilities. So 
do you feel there's there's enough of that happening where people are starting to kind of question their their roles and responsibilities a little? Well, I mean, I guess I will say this: there's always work to be done, right? So even if people are starting to question, um, that's the very beginning of a long process, right? However long it took to build the systems that we're in, that's how long it's going to take to rearrange them, build a second system, you know, start over. People, I mean, you can you can ask for total destruction and dismantling of a system. Right. But and, and that might happen overnight. But the but the um, psychology of the system and the genetics of the system are carried inside of all of us. Mm -hmm. And so we'll just keep reenacting that system until we have a system that we learn to be in. Right. So. Sure. So I think part of part of what part of what that's related to, I think, is that um, as Japanese Americans, right, as JAs, like our experience is plantation driven, right? We are very different than the recent immigrants, like yeah. Yonsei, Sansei, Gosei, you know, which I am, like, like we've been here a while and our generations um, are grounded in our places and yet not, like we're a pretty insular community, right? Yeah, like we, we tend to be pretty ethnocentric, very culturally centric, pretty religious centric. Like we're, yeah. we, uh, we maintained uh, pretty intact <laughs> cultural practice I mean, so think, much that I think in general like most ethnic communities in Hawaii kind of are ethnocentric right I mean yeah. Chinese community Filipino community you know everybody's still yeah. very tied to their original roots right sorry right. I didn't mean to what we managed to do no 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 I mean but and it's true yes and we practice we practice cultural practices that aren't even practiced in Japan anymore yeah. Yeah. haven't been for a hundred years, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they're unique to Hawaii. But like what I think is interesting is that um is that in some ways we still carry in us that DNA of who we were when we came over to work on the plantations, mm -hmm. which is that we were not the first class citizens. We were not, we were fighting yeah. to matter. We created our own banks, right? Like most cultures did, created our own banks. Yeah. Um, which is what the credit unions are based on is our banking system of Hanomoshi um, and like created our own ways to advocate for ourselves, um, create our own societies within the society. Um, but because we were able to align ourselves um, strategically with those that are kind of in power and teach ourselves like we do, right? We're mo'o. I mean, we are um, subaraku subarashi. Like we learn to be a part of yeah. the context that we're in because that's yeah. in our genetics as well right we're not american in the sense that like just stand out and be different and and and, and you know like be the one at the front like that's yeah. not our no. way our way is to maintain and to persevere and to have our kachikan values like yeah. that's you know that's part of that right yeah um and part of that is to be maka'ala is to be ready for the opportunities that exist and so we were and we we're able to build industry and empire and um, and and legacy for our families. Now, did that come at the expense of the host culture? Yes. Yeah. Did were we the ones that first started the plantations? Were we were we part of the missionaries? No. Yeah. But did we contribute and exacerbate what was already happening in terms of the deterioration of Hawaiian culture and practice? Yes. Yeah. Um, like any any 
layer that comes on top of something that's struggling to stay alive and smothers it even more. Like we did add to that. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think, I think part of the practice now is recognizing that we do have to give and we do have to change and we can hold our culture. We, we're not, we don't, we're not all going to adopt Hawaiian values and Hawaiian place names and, and be able to speak Olalo Hawaii. Like, and we should, we should be fluent. It's the, it's the second, it is this, it is one of two official languages of the state of Hawaii. Like we should know. And then we can question whether we should be a state or not. Like all of those things are things that are healthy for us to yeah. question ourselves and our identity. But I think in practice, if we even, if we want to honor our own ancestors and, and the family that we are from, the survivors and the entrepreneurs and the farmers and, and the fishermen and, and the politicians that have been contributing to our bloodline, like in order to honor them, we have to be able to honor everybody else's as well. And in order to do that, it might take us giving more because we've accumulated more. You know, like it's just a redistribution. Yeah, I think is in order. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think you hit it on the head. I mean, and that's why I enjoy talking to you. Very much more eloquent with your words than I am. I mean, but it, <laughs> it but it makes sense because I think for me it was sort of a perfect storm um, coming from the cultural center, working at Kupu, and then that year was the Ganin Mono, the 150th anniversary of the first the first people from Japan. And it was a story that I didn't know because my my ancestors came a little bit later. But to see how that first, the first people, the one, one third went on to the mainland, one third went back. And the third that stayed, they assimilated to the Hawaiian culture. They didn't assimilate to US. They, they you know, took on Hawaiian women as their wives because there were nobody else, you know, like, you know, they they married into the culture. They they started families. Um, they learned Olelo Hawaii. You know, it's so for me. There's I think there it was sort of this weird place where I'm I started to recognize some of the inequities that we didn't cause, but we uh, exacerbated or let continue. Um, mm-hmm. But yet there's this hope that back in the day there was this 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 relationship between the two cultures that that did exist in in harmony for for a while um so you know i think for me it's been trying to that that journey of trying of how do you number one reconcile the 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 first part the damage part and then start to go back toward how can we be more of a partner versus you know a, a competitor right um but yeah, I mean, I, it's a question I wanted to ask because I I figured you would have some insight onto like where I was trying to go and be much better with your mm-hmm. words about, about it. <laughs> I mean, I also think about Auntie Ikela um, Kaneopio Crozier on Maui, right? Kumu. When she says like, regardless of where you came from and regardless of how long you've been here, you woke up today on this land, mm-hmm. right? You stood on this land, you drank in the fresh air and the sunlight and the ocean and and the tree. Like this is the land that sustained you today. So what have you done to sustain this land today? Like it is a reciprocity, right? And so for those of us that have been here for a day or for a hundred years in our families, like have we worked 
to contribute to the health of this land. And this land includes its people. Mm-hmm. Like this land includes its language and its culture. Like have we worked to, to leave this Akahai? Have we worked to leave it better than we found it? Or are we continuing to drain resources? Yeah, extract. Right, like that's, yeah, and it's it's not okay. And so I think that's part of the practice too is understanding like who are we in this power dynamic and how do we shift the power back into Aina? How do we shift the power back into land, the land that has sustained us? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a process that I've been trying to, I mean, for the last, I would say, two years, kind of been just churning and trying to chip away at it in my own brain. Um, but I I think that's a super way to end. We were about at an hour, if you even counted the, the slight <laughs> technical pause. And I've, I've always been trying to keep this about an hour. But um, so just to close out, so I know you got some stuff coming up. Uh, what's going on with your the Accelerate and EIs just so we can get that information out to the 10 people who might listen to this. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Actually, you're the perfect person for, for this announcement because we, um, we're we still recruiting for I, our to I, I was going to... I was thinking about throwing my name in, but we, we can talk about that yeah. offline. But yeah, tell, yeah, tell, yeah. Me, no. tell us about it. So our, our Youth Accelerator, right? Actually, we're recruiting uh, grades 7 through 12 any size idea, any kid that thinks that they want to, it doesn't have to be um, a business that they want to launch. Market market ready could mean policy, could mean social movement, uh, could mean business, but we want to help kids um, with, the, with that roadmap um, or that sale plan of how to go from idea to market. Um, and that's a partnership with Sultan Ventures and, um, and Accelerate. HI, um, like we, we think, I think we know it's the only investment back youth accelerator um, in Hawaii for sure, but we think probably um, for a, more than Hawaii. Um, so that's one is really trying to get the kids involved because we still have spots open and it starts on the 22nd. Perfect. That's in the afternoons. So we're hoping to, to balance out whether if people are doing distance learning or other activities in the morning, it meets every afternoon, coaches, mentors, um, business plan, um, you know, uh, pitch development, like all of that stuff is happening every afternoon for about a month. And it culminates um, and the other in the pitch. That, culminates yeah. in the pitch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they'll be doing an investment pitch and investment okay. again, multiple forms of capital, right? Not yeah. just financial capital, yeah. but any resources. kind of investment that they any need from the community. Yeah. 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 And then the other, um, the other thing that we're running um, again with Sultan Ventures is the community innovation challenges. And so we focused on Aloha Plus and actualizing and activating the dashboard to really think about how people um, can contribute to reaching the 2030 goals of Aloha Plus. This week, we're on a reinvent of education um, sprint. And so anybody that had ideas around how might we think differently about education and the process of education, there's some really interesting ideas that are going to be pitched tomorrow um, on that. And then next week is actually regionalizing innovation. So really getting people to dig into their ideas and, and prototype and come up with um, specific, like this is the partner in this region and this is what it would look like working at this school. And here's the investor that I'm looking for so that we can help them really get that, um, that pitch developed for a specific audience and a, a specific investment. And that's part, um, and so so that's part of the of community, the community mm-hmm. sprint. Yeah. Okay. So we have people from all islands with Aina-based innovations, with technology-based, with education-based, um, you know, just all, all kinds of different um, aspects. Okay, yeah. right on. And then I know um, 
you're you're speaking at Five Eye tomorrow to ya. Oh yeah. Oh, but this but this this episode will air after that, so we will we won't plug it. It'll be Paul already, but you know, and okay. But anyway, um, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, super. I knew it was gonna be a super fun, super insightful conversation, and um, yeah, thanks again for for giving me some of your time. Oh, awesome! Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear how it turns out, and <laughs> yeah. I'm super excited to. To listen to your journey as your podcast grows and grows. <laughs> we'll see. But um, <laughs> all right. Thanks. Aloha. Thank you.